Hello, and welcome to the MLS Bench Podcast. This is Matt, and I'm joined this week by Andres. Andres, how are you? Doing well, man. Uh, you know, all-star, all-star week festivities have kicked off. Crazy match day over the weekend. Uh, watched some MLS Next Pro this morning. Um, all good. Lots to talk about. Absolutely. A huge, huge weekend to go ahead and recap. And we're going to take this this perfect opportunity. Like you said, it's the All-Star break. We're, we're past midseason, but we are able to kind of get a little review of where what, what got us here. Um, and I just want to say, CONCACAF continuing their dominance in MLS All-Star Game Skills Challenges. You know what? It's Con- er, CONMEBOL, UEFA, you could never... Oh, I love that stupid competition. Also, Goalie Wars, bring it back. All right, let's go ahead and dig into some of the results from the weekend. We'll just start it right off the top. Vancouver to Houston won. Uh, pretty competent uh, victory from Vancouver here. And Houston seems to be having some real struggles. Andres, what did you see in this one? Yeah, it was a good performance from Vancouver, who was missing... Um, the basically half of their starting lineup. Um, I think Andres Kubas has been a huge pickup and he, he wasn't available. Uh, Brian White wasn't available in this one. And uh, it looked like it wasn't going to come come good for them until, you know, right at the end. And they basically threw numbers forward, uh, won, a couple, won a couple second balls and, and got a good win at home that they really needed because, as you mentioned, Houston's been struggling. Vancouver was at home. They're just below the playoff line, so this was a, a big three points that they think they really needed, even without some of their some of their starters. So this is maybe a a momentum pusher for them to to try to make a push above that line like they they did last last year late last year. And with the the transfer market or the transfer window that they had this this um last week, I suppose uh, they are gonna make. A pretty good case for themselves. I'm I I like this Whitecaps team from the way that they built this roster. I think that that's one of their big stories this year. The other, they qualified for Concacaf Champions League by way of uh, the Canadian Championships. So, a really, I think that that makes this a, a successful season for Vancouver. Don't, don't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, we'll see what happens in the last what ten games or so, and, and ultimately judge it on on where they finish. Uh, but I think. At the end of last year, with with Sartini coming in, and you get the big momentum push, you wonder how sustainable that was at the beginning of the season. It seemed like maybe not so much. So it's it's cool to see that they've kind of turned it back back on to play the way that they were playing at the end of last year, uh, and you get a Canadian Championship to boot. So it's pointing towards potentially a pretty successful season. And and I agree with you. I like what they've done with the with the transfers with Kubas and Shelf coming in with Gressel coming in on trade. Um, I think they've had some some other underrated moves, you know, Tristan Blackman coming in as well. Just in general, good work from Vancouver uh, and, and building on what they did last year. Then shifting our gaze to the other team in this matchup, Houston, uh, the, although just one spot below Vancouver in the standings at the moment, are not having, I think, the year that, they would necessarily have wanted. It's it's the first year under the new ownership. Um, they've they've made some moves, but there's still 
some more building to be done. Um, I love, I still to this day will always love uh, Hector Herrera being in Houston. The fact that they were able to fill that stadium against FC Dallas, that's a really, really fun matchup. I hope they can keep on pushing on, but it's still a pretty, pretty much in the rebuild, don't you think? Yeah, the thing with, with Herrera is from a commercial side off the field, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, if, if this is a two or three year build, um, then I think it could work on the field. But you're bringing in a, a veteran leader onto a team that's really not quite ready, I think, to compete. There's some good pieces there. I think, you know, you'd be probably pretty happy with what you got it from like Thor Olferson. I think he's been pretty good, especially as a rookie. Uh, but there's there's areas of the team uh, on along the back line, especially um, some of the midfield spots, even I'm not sure they'd be super thrilled with what they got him from Ferreira uh, this year. Quintero is magical at times, but super inconsistent. So, yeah, there's there's quite a bit of work to do, and you wonder if they're going to waste what's what's left of Herrera's prime uh, in this rebuild. Hopefully not, because he's a he's a fun player to watch, uh, and I commend the Houston ownership and front office for, for going out and getting that signing done. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, that's one that if we are wanting players to be coming in, I, I love moves for that kind of player who very much wants to help coach up other younger players around him. I think that that's why he could be a great teacher for Coco Karaskia, especially. I think that that's, there's just there's a couple of pieces that I'm really excited to watch, and I uh, I believe Sebastian Ferreira, the striker, hasn't come good quite yet, but we know that this league can take a little bit of time to get all the way into. I think that there's still some hope. So that yeah, will take care of us. There's definitely pieces there, uh, and you could see if just a couple of things start going their way that they could they could be one of those fringe playoff teams, but I think there's still a little ways to go before you can feel confident in that they're headed in the right direction. Absolutely. That will go out from the Pacific Northwest and head down to the Southeast. We'll take a look at Atlanta United 2, Seattle Sounders 1. Uh, this is a, a match of two teams who have been pretty riddled with injuries this season, and it's been a pretty big loss for both of them, but we're starting to see Almada coming back and starting to come good um, for uh, for Atlanta, that is, but still work to do. Neither of these teams are currently in the playoff picture. What do, what do, you, what do you think on the weekend? What do you think of this season thus far? For which, for you want to talk Atlanta or you want to talk Seattle first? Let's hit Atlanta first. Yeah, I think Atlanta is the one that has the more more meat on the bone to, to talk. I think we all kind of know what's going on with the Sounders um, and have a pretty good idea of, of, of who they are and, and probably who they could be. Uh, you know, with Atlanta, I think it's more it's more complicated. You have all these high-end, high-priced pieces coming in up top, and then you get a ton of injuries right up the spine. You, you talk, you know, Miles Robinson, Guzan, Ozzy Alonso, almost as important or even more important, I think Brooks Lennon and Andrew Gutman on the uh, on the wing backs or, or or on the full back side of things. So I think with with Atlanta, it's one of those seasons that 
you're just waiting for it to click for that front four to click interestingly here moreno doesn't get the start um they play with cisneros uh as that other winger big for them is for is gutman coming back in and into the team and if he's healthy that that helps them but i think the see that in that goal of his oh my yeah. gosh yeah, yeah. And, was- and it, it was a it was a monster goal but he just he was really good last year for Rebels, and he's been good with them when, they, when they've played. Um, and I think they've really missed him. Not that Caleb Wiley's not a talented player, because I think he's he's super high ceiling, 17-year-old. Um, but it, this team needs some solidity, and, and Gutman helps with that. And he can also get forward. So I think he's been a big miss. But I think what you're really concerned about with Atlanta is Joseph and his health, productivity, uh, work rate, happiness, just general <laughs> what's going on with Joseph because he doesn't look quite right. He was, it was mentioned on the broadcast. It's been talked about for a couple of weeks. You know, he's just not making the same runs. He's not nearly as, as threatening getting at center backs. So, and when he does get in good spots, he's not really finishing them. Um, and that's, that's rough for, for Atlanta because he had the ability to put that team on their back in the past, and that's not there right now. I, it's one of those ones where the, I'm kind of concerned about that because they have somebody who has been producing in Rodolfo Cisneros. And so I, it, it becomes a question for uh, Gonzalo Pineda to potentially put Joseph on the bench and give him that super sub role. Let him come at uh, or go on uh, a tired back line, make those really, really Joseph runs. There's no other way to describe it because right now it's just not working. And it, it's, it's definitely concerning. He obviously had the, uh, the tirade against the front office and about, where the players are at the moment and just it's frustrating for Joseph. I understand that you can tell that he still plays for that team, but not quite there this season. Yeah. And, and you wonder if he accepts that role. I, Cause I, I, I tend to agree. I don't think he, it, it might be the best for them right now um, to give him 20 to 30 minutes um, at the end of games rather than starting with him from, from the top and, and, and maybe gives them more balance. Uh, but I'm not sure that he's being as competitive as he is, being as good as he's been, if he's, and he's not, you know, his mid to late 30s. This is still a pretty young guy. Um, I wonder if he accepts that role and, and, and takes that on or, or, or not. That's, I don't know him, obviously, personally, so uh, I don't know what's in his mind, but that that that'd be a, a worry for me or a thought at least. Absolutely. Um, the one blessing I will say, I, I, I think at this point in time, I'm inclined to say that Atlanta does not make the playoffs. It's, uh, it's, it's too crowded in that field at the moment. Um, but if you write this season off and say, you gave those young players a lot of playing time, unfortunately it came through injury, but hey, we're talking about Caleb Wiley here. Uh, an exceedingly good performances from time to time. And if they can keep on building on that and hopefully they can, maybe they can come back next year, even stronger. So tough one for Atlanta, but good, good results on the weekend. 
Yeah, I'll just say when you're spending, what was it, 16 million on Almada and you spent the money on Araujo, um, you brought in guys like Rosetto and Santiago Sosa and so on. I don't think you're you're particularly happy with getting some young guys minutes and not making the playoffs. I think that's, you know, maybe some other clubs are more okay with that, but I'm not sure Atlanta's one of them. And and with Cisneros, this is the first game where he scored he scored one goal. He's either scored zero or two. So it's it's a little bit feast or famine with him as well. So we'll see. Um, I'm not as down on them maybe because I see the high end talent. Maybe they can jump up, uh, above the line just because I think that those guys can get on a heater and score some goals in bunches. And if Lennon and Gutman are back, that helps a lot. But uh, I think if Atlanta doesn't get above the line and misses the playoffs with this roster, that's going to be exceedingly disappointing. I, I, I'm just taking a look really quickly at the, uh, the run of fixtures that they have going over the next couple months. And the, the thing that they're really going to struggle with is they have a tough schedule and a tough away schedule particularly. Uh, they have to go to Cincinnati, to Columbus, to Portland, who are all very much fighting for their playoff spots. I, It's going to be a really, really tough run. And then they have Red Bulls coming in, Philadelphia coming in, Toronto coming in, and D.C. United coming in, but we'll leave that one alone. Uh, <laughs> a, a tough, tough, tough season um, for Atlanta. Similarly, a tough, tough season for Seattle. Um, now, their league form has been very, very down. Uh, they're sitting currently in eighth place in the stand or in the West. Uh, they obviously lose this match. But if we're talking about what is the grand scheme of this season for Seattle at the moment, it's still a success. They still have the one trophy that nobody in the, or nobody else in MLS does. And I think that'll buy a lot of patience. But knowing Seattle fans, not more than one season because they are used to success and they should be. So they've never missed the playoffs in their history in MLS. And if they were to miss this season, I think it's it's probably the only season that Seattle fans would be um, more understanding or more tolerant of that due to, like you mentioned, the, the Champions League trophy. Um, but I still, I, I don't see them missing the playoffs regardless i still think there's way too much talent Rui diaz is playing again uh he's not he's not played in two straight matches and i think if you look at their upcoming schedule rsl the galaxy portland orlando dynamo um i think they've got a good shot to take a good amount of points from those teams um the only the only one I'd really be you know maybe concerned about there is Portland Seattle just because it always tends to to be a little wild. Um, I think we'll see them clearly in the top five um, by the time September rolls around. Wow! I if, if they could pull that off, and they're getting uh, Obed Vargas back pretty soon. It sounds like that will help out a ton because the one thing that they've really been missing over the last few months is that defensive midfielder role and allowing Christian Roldan to get further up because he has been so, so good when he was coming in off the wing. Um, 
that I think that you're right. There's a good chance there. Um, to give you, I, I'm going to go ahead and put this in the most provocative way possible. Um, Portland currently on 33 points. Seattle on 32. Vancouver on 30. If only one team gets in, who is it? Seattle. Seattle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, like you mentioned, the Roldan situation, he's he's such a versatile player, but he's so much better served further up the field that it's it's unfortunate that he has to come back and play that midfield role against next to Rusnak. Um, if they can get Vargas back um, and move him forward, then that's that makes them way more of a threat. And if Rui Diaz, so I think I, I want to put a caveat there. If Rui Diaz is reasonably healthy in the last 10 games of the season, it's Seattle because he makes a huge difference for them. If not, then uh, between Portland and Vancouver, it's, it's tough. It, so I'll say Rui Diaz in, Seattle. Rui Diaz out. I think one of the other two are the more likely. Um, I'm going to say Portland just because of how often they've done it and Guys like Chara and Blanco are so experienced in this league at this point, but it's it's a tough one. It's a it's a coin for me. Santiago Moreno for them has been oh he's monstrous great. Yeah. too. So and, so good off the wing. And unfortunately, um, they can't keep Williamson healthy. Otherwise, yeah. I think I think he he makes a big difference for them as well. I'm gonna go ahead. And I'm gonna make my my stand. I'm taking the Vancouver Whitecaps. If I could only get one Cascadia team in, I'm taking Vancouver. This is a dumb take, but I will stand by it. I think that they did the Seattle thing, and they made good signings in the summer to let them have that that mid, post-midseason push. And I think that that's why I'm taking Vancouver. We will see, though. I am I mean, not putting I, money anywhere near that bet. <laughs> I think Vancouver, Vancouver's probably the MLS nerd interesting pick out of those, just because of all the pieces kind of coming together uh, being an under the radar team with a emotional coach and and all the hype that 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 he brings to the to the team, they're definitely the more fun pick uh, and the it's, less no one. Looking at the history, it's kind of the the little brother in that rivalry. And if they can if they can swing in over those two historic teams, I think that's that's a a fun shout. I I'm taking Vancouver, but we will have to see uh, Seattle. One trophy, but uh, struggling for the playoffs. We'll see how they can do. We are now going to move back to the Eastern Seaboard, uh, head into Charlotte to Chicago 3. Two weird, weird teams this season. Um, Charlotte, for me, has been better than I think anybody really expected. Um, But considering, or when we're talking about, you know, the money that, is included in, in that ownership by David Tepper. Uh, maybe not quite all the way to, to what we would hope for. Um, and then Chicago has, was good at the beginning of the year, horrible in the little middle part there, and then has been on an absolute tear over the last couple of weeks. Uh, did you happen to see much of this match? And what do you think of these two teams? Yeah, I saw, I saw a decent amount. Uh, and Chicago has over the last few weeks turned you know up 
in my personal must-watch power rankings from basically being at the bottom to, to you know, one of the more fun teams to watch in the league. They've been playing really, really good soccer. Um, and, and it's it's both Durant and Kasper Shabilko being different types of strikers, but both being effective. It's Chris Mueller um, and Jairo Torres and Brian Gutierrez on the wing. And it's been Shakiri playing really, really well for the last few weeks. And, and the much maligned uh, backline catastrophes haven't been happening. And actually, they've been pretty solid. Um, so I've, I've really enjoyed Chicago I at this point. Um, it would no longer shock me if they're up at the line at the end of the year. It would maybe surprise me just because of how badly the last four years have gone. Uh, but it, it, they've been really fun to watch. Uh, Charlotte. I, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, currently sitting in seventh place, uh, if they can get into the playoffs, I think that it's not, you know, coach of the year stuff, but so much credit has to go to Ezra, Ken, Ezra Hendrickson if they can get over that line. Because I don't think that all in all, this is a, a team that's built for that much success. Um, truly, if we're talking about a season where a ton of massive stars have come into the league, Shakir is the only one that really has had, uh, you know, any red marks. Like there's, there's been some questions on, on that signing, uh, but if they can get in, it's going to be because of a lot of assists and goals for coming from him. <clears throat> uh, it's an, it's an interesting shout, and Gagas Lanina has been standing on his head recently. I think having some of the uh, the distractions of where is he going to go next out of the way and done is a big, big thing. So uh, exciting stuff from the fire. What, what You're going to go ahead and move on to Charlotte. What do, what do, you, what do you see? Yeah, as Charlotte's a little bit more worrisome for me, and I think this is the second game uh, in the last couple where they get a first-minute goal from Jordi Reyna and end up losing anyway. Uh, I think they struggle a little bit on both ends, both attacking, creating chances, um, and as well defensively, teams can put up some goals on them. So I, you know, it's one of those where overperforming probably expectations and talent level for a while. Um, credit to them for for hanging in there. But I I said when Miguel Angel Ramirez was let go that. They might struggle for a bit. They proved me wrong for a couple months, but I still kind of see that. And you can see that with some of the roster building and, and turnover. <clears throat> it seems like they're still trying to tinker with that roster. Um, this may be a build-on for next year type of season for Charlotte here on out. And we kind of expected a little bit of that just where the roster was at the beginning of the year. Um, right now we know, or I'm trying to think, Tito Ortiz has left the team, uh, and I believe one other designated player as well, uh, if I'm remembering. No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong in that. Um, they they've, got, they've, got go they've got Joe Yeah, Ziak Joe Ziak is who I'm thinking of. And uh, in, but Sergio Ruiz also left. Um, yeah. That, I think it might have been two days ago that, that, he, that he transferred out. So they've, they've, they've turned over a little bit here in, at midseason. I'm hopeful that they can continue to get some good returns on some, you know, very, very MLS pickups that they made. Uh, I'm thinking Jordi Reyna and I'm thinking Brent Bronico. And I, for me, 
he's still sporting blue in my heart, Jalen Lindsey. Uh, I think that Tinyashiki as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Harrison Offal, Anton Walks, or oh, son of a gun. I don't know if I'm remembering his first name correctly. Um, there's there's pieces that I think if they can go ahead and fill out that roster, they've they drafted well in Ben Bender. You could have to say. Uh, I think that there is something to build on. I think that's what we saw when they were fighting for that last playoff spot. Um, I don't think that they're going to get there this year, but positive things coming, hopefully for Charlotte fans. I believe though, we can go ahead and move on from that match. We'll move to Orlando zero new England three. Um, this match, two teams or Orlando still inside the playoff picture, but having a really, really tough time over the last, uh, Oh no, excuse me with this loss out of the playoff picture, uh, or off the window. Um, in New England, currently in tenth, off of or coming off of an incredible season last season, two pretty disappointing runs. I think it has to be said. Um, you're not seeing quite the same uh, productivity from Heel. You're obviously transferring out so much talent from New England. Uh, I think that that's the the drop in their points per game year over year is going to be one of the largest in MLS history, unfortunately. Yeah. And I thought last year's points per, per points per game points in total overstated, probably their, you know, their, their talent level or, or what they, what they did. I think they outperformed. Uh, they were probably, I would say they were, they were a good team, but maybe not 73 points good. Um, and I think it's kind of gone the opposite way here where they've given up a ton of, points from winning positions uh but that said this specific weekend you know they're playing without veroni they're playing without dylan barrero they're playing without gustavo bow um they've just traded away sebastian Lejet. and and you get a win against a playoff rival or a playoff contending rival in orlando and a big win you know not a comfortable three nothing win so this this is a kind of game that they that they really needed and when they bring their pieces back uh i think it's still a dangerous team i feel better about them than i do orlando and that's not just based on on this weekend orlando's been disappointing for for a while now uh truth be told absolutely uh and i i think new england if they can sneak into the playoffs i think they have the one thing that nobody wants to play against and that's a goalkeeper who has been playing on his head uh, in Georgi Petrovic. He is who they needed to replace Matt Turner. Um, he's been outstanding over the last couple of weeks since he got in. Uh, and hopefully if they can figure out some of that defensive stuff, because I'm trying to take a look here. Uh, they have had they're currently at a plus one goal differential. Uh, there's there's reason to be optimistic in this team. I'm trying to pull up their um, goals for and against. Uh, I mean, if, if you look at their, while, while you're putting that up, they've had three clean sheets in a row. Um, and that's with, with Bai, Barrow, Kessler, and Dewan Jones. That's a pretty good back four. Um, Matt Poster's playing well. Uh, if they can kind of put all these pieces together, and like you mentioned, Petrovic has been really good. 
there's there's a reason that that this team scored seven or put up 73 points. Again, I don't think 73 points really indicative, but there's no reason why they shouldn't be in the 50s um, with that talent level. So for sure, one of those teams that if you're in looking at the standings and you're trying to look at, okay, who could jump up here? I think the Revs might be a, a good shout. Yep. And uh, to close off what I was trying to find, it was 35-4, 34 against, really right in the middle on both accounts. So if they can find that killer edge through Vrioni, and if they can continue to go ahead and make more saves than they probably should through Petrovic, they can make a really good run. Um, we were going to move now up to Canada. We're going to take a look at Toronto, or excuse me, that's a horrible mistake to make because this is Montreal versus Inter-Miami. Uh, two teams that I think over the last couple of years are at the opposite ends of, is this a smart team? Um, you have Montreal who has built through their system. They have found really, really good moves within MLS. And you have Inter-Miami who were docked $2 million of allocation money for having a fourth and I believe fifth DP. But really, really good draw away from home for Miami on the weekend. I think I want to start with Miami and, and what the story for them is this season. They're solid. They are an absolutely fine MLS team. Yeah, and they're, they're also pretty fun to watch at times, uh, especially with Pozuelo now out there. They typically play with a 4-3-3, although lately it's, it's sort of changed the shape um, to more of a 4-2-3-1. Um, but yeah, defensively, I think we talked about them a few months ago. Um, they remade the whole back line. Uh, with Chris McVeigh out, out wide on one side and, and bringing in DeAndre Yellen uh, and bringing in Damian Lowe, drafting Ryan Saylor. So that's a whole new back line, uh, which has been pretty good uh, outside of Cincinnati 4-4. For the most part, they're, they hold their own. And they've had to basically be smart about the way that they brought in players and, and finding them in places that people aren't really looking. Uh, some distressed assets like Indiana Vasilev coming back uh, from England, uh, finding a guy like Robert Taylor out of Finland. These aren't the type of signings that they were making on uh, early on, uh, finally bringing in Gregory and so on. So they are a team that one you know is going to compete for whatever reason, even when they're down, they seem to, to be able to, to fight and claw back. Um, and two, they aren't prone to the same ridiculous... Uh, mistakes and then just kind of folding that they were the last couple of years. Um, and three, they've got enough talent between Pozuelo and and Iguain and Ari Lasseter, who's been good, and Robert Taylor uh, to create some chances. So are they going to be above the line? That's difficult um, to say just because how close the East is and how competitive it is. Uh, but they are nowhere near uh, embarrassing right now. And, and it's nice to see that change. Yeah. I, you know, I think we were all kind of expecting a, a race for the wooden spoon between Inter-Miami and FC Cincinnati. And it's not going to be anywhere near that for either of those teams. I love the pickup of Mota. Um, and you're exactly right. Starting to be really, really smart about 
you know, that, that old Colorado Rapids distressed asset FC, like finding those right moves. And then I think that they've really benefited from some very good coaching this season. I don't think that you would see Iguain really performing after having been benched. I, I genuinely thought that that was going to be it for him. Um, so the, the job that Phil Neville has done to go ahead and get him uh, motivated again, get him in the right positions and then bring in the right talent. Is... It seems like, it seems like they're having fun. Like there, there's yeah. a good vibe in that locker room, um, which has been a total 180 from previous inner Miami. Uh, so uh, as a Miami, you know, born and raised, obviously I, I watch, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly a fan of this specific team, let's say, more than others, but I definitely keep an eye on them maybe a little bit more closely than, than most. Um, and it's been uh, heartening to watch the change in atmosphere and in the style of play and, and in the results. Absolutely. Uh, we'll go ahead and take a look to the other side of this match now. Montreal, uh, in this match... A little bit too open at the back, unfortunately, given themselves uh, just not a great opportunity by not really pressing the the foot or the pedal all the way through the floor. But if we take the broader perspective, we're looking at the full season. Really good year for Montreal. Uh, Wilfer Nancy, in my eyes, is leading the coach of the year. Uh, power rankings. They're getting really, really good production from Romel Kyoto. Georgi Mihailovic was an MVP can- candidate. Uh, this is a really, really good team. I don't know if they have it in them to make a, a deep run to MLS Cup because I think that there's some really tough teams ahead of them, but I think that this has got to be seen as a success. And if we talk about smart roster building, like you mentioned, Montreal's kind of been um, now maybe 18 months or 24 months of, of an example of how to get how to build a roster out of guys um, in the league. Uh, Mom Miller, Alistair Johnson, both guys that they, that they brought on from, from other MLS teams to play, you know, basically wingback um, have been really good for them. Kyoto uh, coming from Houston, um, Mason Toy uh, from, from Minnesota was, you know, not getting many minutes. They brought him in, even though he's been somewhat hurt. Uh, but he he provides uh, an addition to their ceiling that I think other players don't. And, of course, Georgie coming in from Chicago. Imagine what that Chicago team could be like with how good soccer they're playing if they had Georgie in there. Um, maybe he, oh he, he, he might clash some with, with Shakiri. Um, but he takes this Montreal team to another level. So, yeah, overall... If you had asked me where Montreal was 2020 to where they are right now, um, they've come a long way and they don't do it with buying high priced young South Americans or stars from Europe. They've built um, with a lot of distressed assets and under the radar guys. Yeah, this is I I love the Canadian Classique as a rivalry. I always have. I think it's one of the best in MLS. Um but now that you also have the the difference in the way that those teams are run to thinking about Toronto versus Montreal, I think that there's just such a cool clash of ideas about how to go ahead and, and build a team. 
and I just I I am going to be pulling for Wilfred Nancy and and uh, Montreal every day in that. So really really good. They are currently sitting in third, fighting for a home game at Stade Saputo. Um, you mean exciting you, stuff for Montreal? You you mean Lassie Lapinainen and Joaquin Torres uh, are are on different levels of fame than Bernardeschi and Insigne? Is is that what you're planning? You know. It's the Italian national team, the Finnish national team. It's close, right? Yeah. I hope. I think, yes, Lapalainen is Finnish. Let me go. He is. Yeah. <laughs> Got that. Uh, the fact that I had to ask is uh, pretty indicative of, of the question. <laughs> no, you're, I think that's a good point. Um, that that difference in, in philosophy uh, has never been m- more evident than it is right now with what's going on in Toronto. Um so, absolutely, it's a good shot by you. Let's go ahead, though, and take a look at that Toronto team who had an absolute shootout on the weekend, traveling down to Nashville um, and scoring, let's see here, goals in the 19th, 41st, 44th, 49th, uh, 77th, and 84th minutes. Seven goals on the night. Uh I was really hoping that we were going to get yet another 4-4 tie. Uh, this was all part of, uh, just for the broader perspective, a 57-goal day in Major League Soccer on Saturday. This was insane. Yeah, and, and Toronto, I think, so talk about viewership power rankings and teams that have jumped up. I think Toronto's made the biggest biggest leap from a team that maybe wasn't as interesting to watch at the beginning of the year and is now basically must-watch, right? I think they're going to have a lot more of these 4-3 type games and they might need to keep scoring um, four to, to get above the line. Uh, but just a ton of fun to watch and to see how this whole roster makeover is happening. So I don't expect it from Nashville to have a 4-3 game, uh, but from Toronto, it's I, I would... Expect a lot more of these. Yeah, I uh, the thing that I was particularly impressed with Toronto this the, on this match and then in you know over the last couple of weeks here is that they've actually got those players coming in in the summer transfer window, moving in really really quickly. They've already starting Bernadeschi and Insigne, which to be expected, but Richie Larea gets his first match back with Toronto uh, and already serves up an assist. Uh, Really, really just fun, fun stuff. Um, Absolutely no defending, but it's Major League Soccer. Who needs that? Uh, Let's take a look, though, at Nashville. Oh, and sorry, just before I say that, Toronto is still certain in 13th. A chance there for a run, but they have quite a bit of distance to make up. Uh, I think about nine points is what I'd expect them have to make up or have to make up next. You you say that, but what they're on 26 Chicago's in seventh on 30. So I said last week that I didn't think they, they would get in. Um, That might be footage on my side because they're they're only four points out with that level of talent. Um, They might get in on a bunch of four, two type results. Um, but they also might give up a bunch of four twos. Who knows? With with this team, so it'll, I, I, it'll be super fun to watch for sure. I I will always bet on decent defending and 
decent attack over really, really good defending and or, uh, really, really good attack and horrible defending. I just think that somebody is going to be able to put a foot in and break up one of those, one of one of what could be 25 goals from Insigne over the next three weeks. Who knows? Um, it's that middle triangle or that, that triangle at the back, right? Mavinga, absolutely. McDonald, McNaughton, and Bradley defensively. That That's the worry, is that teams can get into zone 14 um, and and can beat them uh, on, on, on long balls over the top. Um, yeah. That'd be my worry. If you, if you get behind that line, they are not going to catch you. It's just, it's not going to happen. Richard Larea might change that a little bit. I think he helps. If he if you turn him over when he's you know pushing up the wing, it's just it's not there. So I think we're agreed on that. Yeah. Uh, to the losing side this weekend, uh, Nashville. Uh, tough one. Some pretty poor goalkeeping, it has to be said, uh, and then up against a really really great attack and just not able to finish off the chances that they had. Um, Three goals coming in from uh, Teal Bunbury, Hani Mukhtar, and uh, Walker Zimmerman. Looking at the at the full picture of this season, though, I think that we were probably expecting more from this team. And I think them not being able to get the Shackmore uh, deal done earlier is probably part of that. But part of it's just them not being all the way there, which is unfortunate considering they opened their stadium and it's been absolutely rocking yeah, they've got one win in one two three four five nine games including open cup two and ten but that second one is against dc united um which i think we all we all kind of see where dc has been so for sure i think super disappointing from nashville one of those teams um probably in the top three or four teams in terms of disappointment at this point uh, and it's they're just not as solid defensively. Uh, there were some some numbers in the in, in Doyle's column this week about their pressure and how how often they're getting pressure and how effective that pressure's been. Um, and it and it's a pretty steep decline from the last couple of years. Uh, also, they've had some some issues in central midfield this year with Godoy being out, and and it's just. One of those, uh, one of those uh, teams where, if they're not firing on all cylinders, they've always had a little bit of trouble scoring and do, getting anything outside of Hani Mukhtar being magic. Uh, that when you start giving up more goals, the the one nil wins become two one losses or, or or one one draws, which there's been a lot of. So, yeah, uh, disappointing. I think Shaq more helps. Uh, but they need to start getting some more pressure in their defensive third, and they need some some central midfield help and some attacking help. And <laughs> yeah, if if Ake Loba could have been closer to the the rally or Raul Rui Diaz that they were hoping that they were getting, maybe that would change a lot. But uh, you know, we look at last season; they had a record-setting number of draws and. I think that maybe in retrospect, that's showing just how thin that margin of error was that it it could break more towards them having more losses. So uh, a tough season. They're still currently sitting in sixth in the West, um, trying to push up, but definitely a lot of teams nipping at their heels. 
That might um, be one of those teams that fall out for one of those Cascada teams to jump up. Might be a, yeah. Astros one, Salt Lake's another I have my eye on for for that again. Let, let's talk about that Salt Lake team. Uh, had a tough, uh, tough matchup this week with uh, LAFC coming into the, re- or into the riot. Um, 4-1 loss at home for RSL. Is this just an instance of so much talent coming from that LAFC side that it's just impossible to keep up? Is that what you think this was? Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, I think LFC is going to run over a lot of teams the rest of the year. Um, they've just got so much everywhere on the field. It's not just the front. It's Their midfield is really difficult to play through. Um, they turn you over. They have so much creativity. So I'm not sure. They have an incredible volleyball player in uh, Giorgio Chiellini. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if <laughs> how you feel about that. I... I like it. I think it's it's fun. I do too. It's it's. He knew that he had a, a defender in support, so he could you know not get the red card. It's it's you have to be able to do that thing if you're going to go ahead and win. And it it adds some spice to the league. Um, I I think there's going to be a lot of people rooting against LAFC, and that's only going to add to it. Um, but I think it's something good for the league to have that sort of. Uh, personality and team out there um, bringing in bringing in those opinions so I think it's cool um, but in terms of Salt Lake you know I don't, I'm, not, I'm not particularly worried based on this performance necessarily like you mentioned I think it's just LAFC have so many horses they're just going to overpower some teams um, pretty often but it's been not great for, for a while from Salt Lake now we're going on uh, at least a month, if not more, of some really tough results. And it's regression to the mean, I think, here a little bit, where we kept saying, when are they going to fall back to kind of that level of expectation on their talent? And they just kept overperforming and overperforming. Um, and if you look back over the last month and a half, uh, the results have started turning against them. And there's a lot of really good teams right below them. Um, so they might be a little vulnerable here. Yeah, currently sitting in fifth in the West. Um, this was a team that I was super, super interested in because they were just finding smart ways to beat teams. They're getting a lot out of players that you would not have expected. this. Uh, Zach McMath playing David Ochoa out of a job. Uh, really, really good performances from Marcelo Silva and Justin Glad. Jesper um, Lawson they got a job. Yes, absolutely. It has been one of the best uh players coming out of college over the last couple seasons. Like he's been really, really good for them. Um, but they got to May and, you know, looking at their, their last three wins, um, it was Houston at home, sporting Kansas city at home, San Jose at home. They just have not been able to go out and get a result. They've lost some at home. They've, they've been struggling. And it's, I think I have a lot of trust in, uh, Mastro, I need to go ahead and turn this around, but it's if they don't do it quickly, you're right. There are so many teams. It's so packed for those last basically six spots in the West. Like <laughs> you cannot sit back in this league. Uh, they've they've got to find or start finding ways to get results. Hopefully, uh, uh, some of their 
players coming back from injury will help a lot. I'm excited to see what happens when Crylock comes back. Because uh, it has to be said, he's been out for basically the entire season. So I think that that's going to have a pretty big impact. Uh, some interesting stuff there. Their next five and are, then, are Sounders, Whitecaps, FC Dallas, Minnesota, LAFC. Those are all oh six-pointers against pretty good teams. So we'll know by September 4th, I think, if, if yeah. they turned around or not. Uh, I want to go ahead and pose one more question on, on this team before we, or on this game before we move on. Um, LAFC currently on 51 points. 73 points was, broke the record last season. Can LAFC get to 74? And I'll, I'll, while you think, I'm going to give you the, the matches that they have. Charlotte at home, DC at home, San Jose away, Austin away, Houston away, RSL home, Dallas away, Minnesota away, Houston home, Portland away, Nashville. Me- a lot of games against a lot of teams that have not been doing well this season. So it's what, 11 matches and you need 23 out of them? You need, yep, yep. Certainly doable. I think that they do it. It's certainly doable. I, it's not, it's, they're currently on 2.22 points per game. Uh, 2.15 is what RSL had last year. Last year, or, uh, RSL, New England had last season. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if I go out and say absolutely they do it, but so maybe I'm, I'm wishy-washy here. I'm hedging. Um, but I, I think it's certainly doable for sure, especially when you, you run off some of those matches and you have to imagine them getting, you know, four or five wins pretty easily. And then you're just looking at what a couple more and a couple draws to get there. So, um, yeah, it looks, it looks pretty likely. I'd say there's more than a 50% chance. Fun, fun stuff for the, uh, the team coming from LA less fun stuff on the weekend for the team coming from Carson. Uh, LA Galaxy goes into Kansas City uh, in a match that they have got to get points in uh, and end up losing 4-2. to two. Uh, It got a little bit interesting towards the end of this. I was obviously watching this one with a passion. Um, and, you know, Chicharito had a penalty in the 92nd minute to make it 3-2, but Sporting was able to go ahead and put it away. Really, really good performance from Sporting signings. Uh, on the day, Roger Espinosa looked like he was 23. You know, there was just some good stuff from the sporting side that we have not seen this season. Uh, and the the issues at the back for LA are not going away. And they, they you know, continue with this 4-4-2, tactic uh, dilemma that they've got going on. I think that they want to see what they get out of Pooch. And Brugman going forward, um, if that if that helps them any, but you know, it's just it's one of those things where it seems pretty clear that they need to have more numbers in the midfield and they need to have two strikers up front. So I said it a couple of weeks ago. Um, maybe you try this three center back and, and then play five with Araujo and Raheem out wide, uh, but I'm not sure even that's gonna going to turn around if, if they can't get the center back play to be a little bit better. Um, sporting hasn't really done this to anybody all season. Uh, Agata was good and Tommy's been good. 
But I think the bigger story here, because I think we're pretty much aligned that Sporting's probably not making a run here, um, is that the Galaxy... They're fighting for not having the wooden spoon. <laughs> that's, that's basically all we've got this season, unfortunately. So I think the bigger story is that the Galaxy can't figure out how to score and defend at the same time. Um, or neither one of them sometimes. So it's been a couple of weeks that I've been saying it's, it's looking rough for the Galaxy, and this doesn't change it. If anything, it's getting worse. Yep. Uh, if maybe, I, I think you're right that they need to look at moving towards three at the back. That's obviously not what um, Greg Vanny has been known for. He's always played out of, truly out of a four-two-three-one. Again, as much as uh, formations really mean anything, but having that three back, that center, that really defensively minded uh, setup would give them a better chance. It, you have to think, but uh, tough, tough one. Uh, and LA Galaxy currently, certain, er, currently sitting in ninth place. I, I just do not at this point in time see the way, unless you're right, unless Puj really, really settles in quickly and can give them that mobility from midfield. I just, I'm really concerned that we're going to have another uh, MLS playoffs without the LA Galaxy. And that's, that's unfortunate. Like, that's, that's a loss for the league. And out of, out of all the teams that they're in, in that range, right? So it's Vancouver on 30, Colorado on 30, Galaxy on 30, and then the teams that we talked about, Nashville, Portland, Seattle. The Galaxy are the team that I have the least confidence out of all of those teams. Um, so... Maybe they surprise, but right now I have them out and probably closer to tenth or eleventh than than sixth or seventh. Yeah. So absolutely a tough result, and they have got to start picking up uh, points quickly here if they're going to make a final run. Um, we will go ahead and move to one of those teams that you mentioned there. Let's talk a little bit about Portland versus Dallas. Uh, this was a match that. It did 1-1, really even in a kind of very boring way. This was not the most fun match. This was uh, just good defensively, okay through the midfield, and then not finishing chances at the front. Uh, I am not all the way there on either of these teams. I like Dallas a lot, currently sitting in, I believe, uh, third um, and making some good signings in the window. But I have some concerns. I, I think that they need to start scoring more goals. Ferreira's not on that incredible run that he started the season off, and I think that they're hoping that Leggett will help pick some of that up for him, but I'm not, I'm not all the way there. What do you think of Dallas this season? Um, yeah, I like them in general. I like the, the midfield three. I like their attacking three. I think... Uh, every now and then, the Velasco, Ariola, Ferreira trio can can get out on the break and punish you. Um, but I don't think they create enough chances out of sustained run of play, and they aren't getting particularly good fullback play and inconsistent center back play. So, actually, similarly to Portland, my concern with both teams is is ironically because this is this was a pretty defensive game is on the back lines um both both dallas and portland uh, fullbacks 
are concerning for me. Um, and probably both center back pairings aren't, you know, I think Dallas may be a little better than Portland um, center back wise, but neither are near the top of the conference. Um, neither at the bottom either. Don't get me wrong. Uh, just kind of middling on that defensive side. Uh, so when you're middling on the defensive side, you've got to be creating chances pretty consistently. Uh, and both teams seem to want to counterattack, uh, which means they absorb a lot of pressure. So I think both are pretty decent teams, but not near the top. Uh, I think Lejet probably helps bring some more veteran leadership into a midfield that has a lot of young guys in Sabalin, Cerillo, Cervania, Pomichol. Uh, but they could have used a, a Richie Larea. I, I think that would have been such a good could have could have really been a help there or a Shaq Moore uh, because right back's been a, an issue. Uh, maybe another center back. Uh, you look at LAFC with their five center backs. Dallas could use any one of those three or any one of those five, and I think so could Portland. Yeah, uh, looking at Portland, I you know. We always say that they kind of are inconsistent throughout the season. They get into October, they make it into the playoffs at seventh in seventh or sixth place, and then they are an MLS Cup. That's the thing that Portland is just so consistently decent enough to make it, and it's uh, it's tough. They've had some really really good performances over the season. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of age. All right, I think that we're starting to see a little bit of age at least. In the Char brothers, um, I still will always love Santiago Moreno. Uh, I think that he's brilliant. Um, but you're right. If they can't outscore you, I just don't see the defensive sub- stability that they're going to have to have. Yeah, and they've got, they've got probably the more established high-end talent in, in terms of Blanco. And I think Nizgoda has been really, really good. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, Moreno's been been excellent. Uh, but would you rather have that or Rui Diaz, Lodero, Morris? I think you have to give that that edge to Seattle uh, if you're you know doing a, a one by one comparison. So these are teams. I think both of them end up in above the line, uh, but maybe not the top level. I think that I'm right there with you. Um, but we'll go ahead and call that good for these teams. We will move to the last uh, Texas team that we have uh, who has to be considered a poor result on the weekend. Uh, 3-3 between Austin FC coming in second place in the West and San Jose Earthquakes in 13th. Uh, some Another match that there's just no defending going on. Uh, not nearly enough from from either of these back lines, but absolute brilliance from Driussi uh, and some of the best goals that we've seen this season from Palmeri and uh, Kikanovic. It, this is a <laughs> a surprising matchup. I think it has to be said. Uh, let's go ahead and take Austin first. Tell me what are you seeing for them this season? Do you see anything in this match? What do you think is going on with this team? Oh, they've been one. Their goalkeeping, Stuver's been uh, lights out much better than I think expected. 
and even their back line in general, not necessarily here, has been better than expected, especially I think Gabrielson's been pretty good. Um, and of course, Juicy's been MVP caliber type type of player. I still worry about them a little bit. I am off the Austin's not making the playoffs. I think that's been proven. I've been proven completely wrong. It'd take a pretty big collapse <laughs> like, think, at this point. I think I've been proven wrong on that one. It, it, yeah, they're what on 40, 45, uh, eighth is thirteen points behind them. That's it's quite a drop with ten points with ten matches left. So it seems like they're pretty clearly in. It seems like they're pretty clearly going to host a, a playoff game, and it it seems like you know their their home environment is absolutely spectacular. Uh, but there, I think there's some regression to the mean still to be had, and you see a little bit of it in this in this match where when when you don't get the best goalkeeping and your your back line doesn't have its best performance. Um, this this type of thing can happen to you. It takes it takes a, a monster goal from Paul Marie, right? But you would expect a really good team to put away a, a team, you know, that's kind of in a building phase at home, uh, and they couldn't do it here. And Bobasi has been really good for San Jose. So in general, Austin's I think out, outdoing expectations, clearly proving me wrong. But I still worry a little bit about where they are defensively. Uh, and we'll see what yeah. happens on that right wing because that's been a position of flux and they brought in the Argentinian um, over the Rigoni over over the transfer window so we'll see what happens on, on that side going forward I think that's that's what takes them to the next level for me if, if they're getting that just sustained attack that they're going to have because Fagundes has been incredible coming in off the left Drusi obviously if if we're getting anything close to a DP level player in Rigoni, Austin is going to be terrifying to play against. And again, kind of like we said with New England, a goalkeeper who's playing well can be the reason that your team is incredible or okay. Uh, San Jose for me, the uh, we obviously had uh, Matias Almeida fired earlier in the season. Alex Cavello has come in. Done a really solid job, I think. This team is not the roster that I think anybody would want to have right now, but except for a couple of uh, spots, and I think it's really, it's Jeremy Obobese. He has been electric in San Jose this season. Uh, I think currently second in the, um, or second for Americans in the Golden Boot, uh, only hell, or uh, uh, the only one to have above him being Brandon Vasquez. Uh, he has shown that he can do it every single way. I still wish that there would be a, a look for him with the USMNT. Uh, only a couple of pieces that they have to build on. So hopefully, some more stuff coming for San Jose. Do you have much else on them? I think Kikanovic has been pretty good as well. Um, he- this is one of those rosters where you looked at guys like Montero and Grey Goose and you thought maybe, um, but they seem to have decided to hit the reset here, uh, selling Marcos Lopez, which was a good bit of business, and Francisco Calvo. So I, I'd expect probably Grey Goose and Montero and some of those guys that are 
more established veterans to be moved on and we should probably see a whole new roster uh, for the most part coming in next year, which is unfortunate because I thought they, they had some potential here after Almeida was, was let go. Uh, but you're right, I think Ibobisi is is the main bright spot and hopefully they can build uh, around him going going into the next few years. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful in that it looks like they're trying to make a slight turn or uh, turn towards their academy and really building up some of that um, local talent, which they're in a great spot for. I think that that could be really really good. This is the the next market that I could see becoming something like a Dallas or Philly. Uh, that I'm I'm excited for the potential there if they're willing to put in that investment and really, really try that. It takes time, but uh, they've had to be patient thus far. So, uh, okay for Austin and San Jose. Obviously, so much more to build on for both teams. Um, let's go ahead, though. Let's take a look at a team that has a very established academy in Philadelphia Union, who... Uh, did not have the best results on the weekend, it has to be said. They go into Cincinnati and lose 3-1. And this is the performance that I think people are looking at and saying, oh, Cincinnati is real, real. Like, this is an incredible result for Cincinnati. Best result in that team's history. What did you see in this match? And what are you seeing from, let's start with Cincinnati this season. Yeah, so Cincinnati was... I mentioned Chicago and Toronto jumping up my viewership power rankings and Cincinnati was the early mover on that maybe two or three months ago. I started really wanting to pay attention to them because I thought they were playing some really good soccer and and were a fun story. And it's kind of been middling since then. The, the last couple of weeks haven't been as good, uh, but this was an awesome performance and, and you're getting it from, from a bunch of guys that we've started to see really turn the corner. Um, Barrial was excellent and has been really good for a few weeks now. Uh, Wobodo has turned that midfield totally around. They've been so much uh, better with the ball and more difficult to play against. Um, Brenner's been finally coming good, and Brandon Vasquez has been absolutely incredible. Um, holding up play, making runs, getting into good positions, finishing, uh, just doing just about everything as a striker. Um, so defensively is where the concern is. Miazga's coming coming in now. We'll see how that that works. I think they'll probably continue to play a back three now with with Miazga in. Um, but just been a ton of fun to watch, and this is the performance that everybody's that's following Cincinnati's kind of been waiting for. Kind of put it all together. Yep. This I. They were one that I had Gold Star by their name uh, following the the transfer window because I think that there's only one real major deficiency that they had. And if Miazga comes good, he's played in this league, he knows what it's like, that that could be the thing that makes this, this team um, so, so good from Cincinnati. Really, really just uh, smart roster building. Chris Albright and Pat Noonan coming in have entirely changed what that organization is. Uh, really, really like that from Cincinnati. Um, Philadelphia, this result 
is absolutely an anomaly for. Um, this is, you know, the three goals that they gave up on the weekend were almost 17% of the goals they've given up this season. This is still one of the best teams in MLS. No doubt in my mind. Um, and it really comes down to, for me, that defensive unit, because they have been incredibly good. Um, and they're getting... They're, they're starting to go ahead and keep on getting that attacking presence from Gazdag, Carranza, and Ura. Uwa, excuse me. Uh, I, there's no question this team is a playoff team. Do you think that they can make a push for either a Shield or Cup? Uh, I think Shield's probably out of the question based on what we talked about with the LAFC uh, a couple a couple minutes ago. Uh, you know, we we basically said that we wouldn't be surprised if LAFC got to 74. I'd be surprised if if Philly got to something like 74, um, it basically take them being perfect, perfect, right? Because you're at 24 um, plus 10, that's 30 points. You'd basically have to win out. So I think Shield is out of the question. Might be asking too much. Yeah, that's probably that's probably a lot to ask. But we saw already with this team um, make a they they made a good run last year in the playoffs. Got knocked out. Um, by the NYCFC with what seventy five percent of their starting eleven out, and you know what it was 12, 12 players not available for that Eastern Conference final. There's no reason why uh, they can't make a they can't make a run. And in one match with as defensively solid as they are, uh, would you put it past them to make an upset against an LAFC or or a Seattle or whoever is coming out of the West? Um, no. I don't think you you would put it past them. So, where where would I put them in terms of most likely to win MLS Cup? They're probably top three or four. Um, which, considering the amount of money going around in this league, and how much of it Philadelphia has not spent, is a true testament to how they've built this team, um, this academy, and and all the business that they've done over the last four years now. Um, it's been really well done. Absolutely. It, they, even with having lost Albright, they're still obviously so, so well run by Ernst Tanner. Uh, really, really good stuff. I, they're only six points back from uh, LAFC at the moment. I, I think that they can make a run. And that's, a, a <laughs> there's just, they play a little bit worse of a schedule, in my opinion, than LAFC is, has to go up against. But I think that that's that's my race. I think that's actually going to be a really really interesting race. Um, we'll have to see because Philadelphia obviously is just absolutely flying. Um, we'll go from two teams that have been playing really really well this year to a team that was incredible last year and made a run all the way to the cup. Let's talk about Columbus three, New York City two. Uh, Columbus has made an absolute turn since. Kucho Hernandez has come in. Uh, I think that they are so dynamic going forward at this point. Uh, they're getting the defensive stability that they need to, despite an own goal from Jonathan Mensah this week. Uh, just a really, really solid team, really starting to turn the corner, and they're getting hot at the right time. Uh, what are you seeing from Columbus? Do you think that they can make a deep run in the playoffs? So I really like Columbus, and, and this is a team... Even right before Cucho came in, they had a couple of games. They went to Salt Lake, 
Um, still missing a ton of guys. Still missing. I want to say Zelorayan was still out. Um, they started getting results. They started getting draws uh, out of games that maybe early in the season they wouldn't have gotten. Then they got a draw against Philadelphia, um, and then you know once Zelorayan got healthy and Kucha came in, it just takes them to another level. So. What you get is an Aiden Morris, Darlington Nagmi midfield that's super solid, uh, back line that's pretty good, uh, and then you get two really good high-end best 11 type players up front, and it just leaps them uh, above where most teams can reach. So absolutely, they can make another run, or a run like they did in 2020. And they might not be as deep as that 2020 team uh, right now is, or uh, they may not be as deep right now as that 2020 team was, uh, but I think they might be a little bit even better at the top end with Cucho. So Columbus is one of those teams that I've been watching now six to eight weeks, just getting better and better. Uh, and I think they're going to be comfortably above the line and probably host a, a first round match. That'll be Fun one to watch. That stadium always looks popping. Uh, the team coming into the, uh, Columbus this week, though, has had an okay season. It, it's, it seems weird to say that it's not been exactly what we've wanted, despite the fact that they're second in the East. But NYCFC is kind of an enigma to me. Uh, obviously, massive, massive changes that they've experienced over the season with the uh, departures of both Tati and Ronnie Dyla. Uh, they, I, I, we, we had discussions earlier when Dyla left. I did not think they was going to have uh, near the impact that it, it seems to have. They just, there's just not quite the um, same settlement with where they are. And I think losing that incredibly, you know, historic talent uh, in Tati has really given them a lot of more issues than I was expecting. Uh, they're, Still almost cer certainly going to make the playoffs, but some more questions to ask than I think we would have expected. What are you seeing from NYC? They're, they're pretty clearly worse now, right, than they were earlier. I mean, there's enough of a sample mm -hmm. size now. Um, early on in the Cushing era, you said, okay, maybe they need a couple games to settle in, or maybe once they get that first win, which took a while, um, it was until New England uh, to, to get going, but it's it's pretty clearly now worse over 10 games, 12 games than they were previous uh, to, to Dyla leaving. And now the, the attack without Tati um, seems to be really lacking and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do at, at the nine. We all kind of talked about it. Are they going to play Eber up there? Are they going to move Talis Magno into a false nine? Um, don't discount how important losing Keaton Parks is in the middle. He also puts a bunch, bunch of pressure on, on teams. Um, so there's, uh, look, don't get me wrong. I think we all think NYC has near or at the most talent in the entire league, uh, but some things to figure out and a couple months to figure them out before, you know, if they're playing at this level going into the playoffs, I think they're pretty much set up for a disappointment. So lots to think about and work on in the next couple of months. One of the few teams I think that can withstand it and turn it around, but it's not happening for them right now. 
Yep. The the one real saving grace that you have to give them is that they played so incredibly well in the first half of the season. They have given themselves this great buffer. Um, so I am still, you know, pretty optimistic about what this is, what this NYCFC team can do. Uh, and especially in, you know, when in your end situations and we're hoping it looks like Keaton parks might be able to get back in, you know, late August, early September. And I think you're right. That's, that's the, the, biggest miss other than Tati. Uh, and if they can get him back, get him running at hundred percent, that'll be massive. And uh, I think if I remember right, I'd have to go back and, and look um, how it played out, but somewhere around this point last season. So without, with around eight, nine uh, matches to go, New York lost the Hudson river Derby to the Red Bulls. And I think briefly dropped below the playoff line. Um, and there was a lot of naysaying about where that season was headed. Um, and then they, they turned it around from that point on, uh, went on a huge run and, of course, ended up winning the Cup. So the team has a talent. They've done it before. This recent not great run of results uh, might just be a lull, uh, but it's not, it's not really clicking at this point. Even the wins haven't been super convincing uh, recently. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if they turn it back on at some point here. Absolutely. Uh, we will go to the red side of New York really quickly. Uh, New York Red Bulls zero going into D.C. United, also zero. Uh, this is the most surprising match to me, and it's also just hilarious that it's the only 0-0 draw of the weekend. Uh, NYCFC, or, oh gosh, NY Red Bulls, have been incredible this season, absolutely running teams into the dirt. Um, but I think that we are just seeing so much or so many accumulated miles on this team. Uh, and I think the biggest thing is they just do not have that killer instinct to put the ball away. Uh, they needed one of the 25 strikers that DC United uh, bought over the transfer window. I did not watch much of this game to be quite honest. And Neither of these teams am I are am I uh, super uh, convinced can have a, a deep run. What do you think about these two teams? Uh, I don't really want to think about DC United at this point. Uh, DC United right now is a let's see what happens in the background and when and, and it's not that I don't think some of the moves that they're making are interesting or aren't. There's just so much other things going on in the league right now that uh, until they're until they're more consistently decent I probably am not paying a ton of attention to their to their matches at this point in the season you know getting close to crunch time um, Red Bull on the other hand I think you're right in terms of mileage I I think also we've mentioned it before this lack of a goal scorer consistently up front uh, makes it much more difficult for them than it has to be. They they rely on Luquinhas and Morgan to score goals. Um, in this case, Luquinhas comes in off the bench. Uh, it's it's tough. It's tough when you when you're relying on set pieces and, and wingers, um, and you don't really have anybody that you can that you can consistently expect goals from. And when the pressure isn't exactly the same amount of pressure because you're tired. Uh, then teams can score on you. And in this case, a not great DC team can't score. 
Um, good for Red Bull to get a clean sheet. But we've seen it recently against better teams that they're allowing goals in. And they rely on a lot of scrappiness to get their own goals. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, that we not super are... sustainable the, the way that they play. They have had, uh, over the last even just two weeks, two games that they've given up five goals in. Uh, so a, if they're not going to score, they have got to be so much better defensively if they're going to have any chance moving into the playoffs. Um, last match of the weekend, and then we can call this one a day. Colorado 4, Minnesota 3. Uh, this one, <laughs> another just... This league does not like defenders. Uh, absolutely a disappointment for Minnesota. Colorado has been struggling this season, and uh, Minnesota going into this match was in third place in the West. They think I think that anybody on Minnesota would say that they needed to get more from this, um, even with it being going into Colorado at altitude. They still are wanting more. What do you see from this, and what do you think of these two teams? So this is a rough performance here for Dane Sinclair, right? He gives up a couple rebounds um, that Zardes gets on the end of. Uh, you know, Sinclair was pretty pretty awesome in 2020, and then not great in the beginning of 2021. He lost his job. He was absolutely incredible at the beginning of this year and hasn't been nearly as good. And... and for, Frankly, pretty bad in this one. So I, I think from from Minnesota, that's part of it. I think you're happy with the fact that you're scoring goals consistently, even without Reynoso. Uh, the we talked about the change with having a Maria up top, um, and the change with the wingers has been has been much better uh, playing load further back. So I think yes, you're disappointed in this result, but I don't think it's indicative really of where you're going. I like Minnesota in general. If Sinclair can turn it back around, then then that's that's going to be a pretty good team going forward. And Colorado finally seems to be clicking a little bit better. Zardes seems to be settling in. Rubio's been good. Um, I wonder if they've left it too late uh, just because of the glut of pretty good teams in that area. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, they were pretty. But it's still right in the mix. A couple of weeks ago, they were pretty far out of it, um, and they've gotten a couple of big wins here uh, recently to get them back in. Um, the the Red Bull match midweek was three points stolen, um, and then this year uh, another big three points. So yeah, they're back right back in it, and they they're a good team. So would it shock me to see them above the line? No. Yeah, I think that. There's definitely a little bit of hope there. I love the idea of having Diego Rubio running off of a, a more established striker like Jossie Zardes. There's a lot to like in Colorado. Um, it might just, I, I think it is too late this season because the, the West is just so packed. It's from third to, I'm not going to say 14th, but I wish it was. Uh, 11th is six points. Like, it's just absolute insanity. It's going to be an incredible final uh, sprint into the playoffs, but uh, we, are, we will be excited to watch those games and chat, chat about them. So 
I think that will do it for us for this weekend, though. Um, and we can say thank you so much. Uh, enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. We'll catch you next time. Enjoy the All-Star game. Yes, enjoy the All-Star game. Bring back Goalie Wars. You go. See you soon.